Hey, welcome to Dot Grid, a podcast at the intersection of digital and analog. Uh, my name is Will Fangi, and I am here with our official Nerd Uprising jet setter, Mr. Andy Welfley. Andy Welfley, how's life on both coasts? Oh, man, you know, I don't know. The caviar on the East Coast is definitely way better. Oh, you're such a... <sighs> this no, guy. I have no idea. <laughs> that's, why we're, uh, that's why we're a little bit behind on our schedule, because we originally set to record last Monday, but Mr. Welfley, and I have to call you that now because you've traveled across the country twice in the past uh, week and a half, was in uh, the big city, New York, doing what I can only assume was supposed to be official Facebook business, but ended up being a lot more pencil-oriented business. It was... Uh, was, as, as one does. It was pretty amazing. I, um, as I'm sure we'll talk about in Erasable, I, I met Johnny Gamber for in real in person for the first time ever, which is, uh, which was amazing. It was, it is much like what I imagine when when we meet for the first time will be. Was it's just like I, I hear the voice and it's so surreal to put it to a face. Was it a was it a, a Mike and a, blah, blah, and a Brad thing or was it a little was there a little less hugging involved? Mike and Brad. Oh no, yeah, there was there was some hugging, yeah. I, I would definitely say there was some hugging. Uh, we met up at CW Pencils, which um, Carolyn Weaver, she has a wooden pencil shop in uh, the Lower East Side. And I bought $60 worth of loose pencils, <laughs> which is a lot of pencils. Um, you, you have an extreme pencil budget right now between that and the gross of pencils that I take it your employer has promised to, I, to pay for if you invest in. That should be – I'm still trying to figure out how that's going to work. But uh, If anybody knows anything about banana-themed pencils. Yeah. Well, we're – it's it'll be an interesting dis- yeah it'll it'll be interesting I have no idea how or what it's going to look like but it should be fun um, and then yeah so I met uh, I met Johnny I met Caroline Weaver um, and then I met the Baron Fig guys and I met um, Harry Marks who has been on this very podcast he has so he's he 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 like me is somebody who is taller in real life. Uh, yeah, I, real life. I saw you standing next to those trees in Northern California. You did well, not look very. They were, they were, they were, they dwarfed me. But I, scale. I, I used to have people who tell me that I was taller um, than I seemed on Twitter because at some point I had a Twitter profile picture that was kind of like shot down on me, so it just looked like I was I was looking up at the camera. So I actually had in my Twitter bio for a long time taller in real life. And, how uh, how tall are you anyway? I am six two. Holy cow! You are taller than you are on the <laughs> and internet. And Harry Marks is probably like mm, six three or six four. He's a little bit taller than me. I am. So. A, I'm a full five eight. Yeah. So I look forward to you using my head as a chin. Rest. I hope. I hope when we meet, I will be able to see you. Uh, well, if you can get just your head on the clouds just, in more ways than one, just punch me on the ankle, and I'll know that you're there. I dislike. <laughs> your- I dislike your tone, sir. So, um, yeah, it was great meeting Harry. It was great meeting the Baron Fig guys. We had a real, some really good discussions. Hopefully, we'll have them around here sometime soon for reasons that we won't go into now. Yeah, um, I, hope, I, I hope to get a chance to, to speak to them here yeah. before it's long because uh, Joey and Adam, Adam, Adam is the one that who, with whom I'm less familiar. They both, well, they both follow me on Twitter now, so apparently I'm a little bit of something. But also, they <laughs> just seem like really genuinely nice guys. Oh, they're awesome. Yeah, they're super um, cool. And you guys are now new internet BFFs because they text you all the time and you have to <laughs> stay on the coast or something. Yeah. You- we went to some coffee shops. Well, just one coffee shop. But yeah, it was a good time. It was a... Um, I now like I, I did not have to book or pay for my own airfare, so I was able to get... Um, Direct a direct flight there from San Francisco to LaGuardia, no JFK, and it is nice flying direct. However, it's a long ass flight. Yes, it's five yes. and a half hours. 
That is a that is a long time. I have flown from uh, Nashville to Denver to Portland, and I have flown from Portland to Anchorage. Which you would think, oh, same coast. Oh no, that's a long flight. Yeah, it's way up there. Yeah, yeah. I, Anchorage is way way up there. I flew from Detroit to Nagoya, Japan once, and that was eighteen hours in the air. And I was seventeen, and I thought I was going to die. Like I just just had enough. Well, and it didn't help hard. that you left from Detroit. Yeah. And Sorry, any listeners that we have in the Detroit I left area. from Detroit, and, and uh, fun fact, when you fly over the Pacific, uh, you hit the jet stream, and there is extreme turbulence, so Ugh. that is nice. I, uh, I went to a college with a guy who, at that point, was at least the number three or number four most popular rapper in Japan, which apparently is a thing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and, well, the school where I went had a, had a wonderful um, music production program, and when I actually picked him up, on at the end of winter break, he lost a day in transit because not only was he traveling for 23 hours, he crossed the date line at some weird point where he like left on the ninth and landed on the 11th. Yeah. Yep. I remember, I remember that. And then coming back, you actually like go back into the past. It's amazing. Oh, Should we do some of like, our follow up? Some of our FU? Yeah. The, the FU follow up. Um, yeah. First and foremost, you alerted me to this link to begin with. And then I did a little more research uh, which further proved my point that you and I are ahead of the pop culture. Curve. Oh yeah, we're way uh, ahead. We're the coolest people we know, yeah, which is probably why we get along so well. Yeah. Um, you sent me a link on Facebook, which is appropriate because that's a place that you spend a good deal of your time. You sent me a link on the Facebook, I guess, towards the end of last week, um, <laughs> about on fleek showing okay. up on Buzzfeed, which is all sorts of. Pop culture phenomenon wrapped into one. It was not part of a listicle. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, um, it was a whole thing about um, just what is on fleek, and um, they're, they they do what they usually do. And um, I think this was a video, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to play this. We'll have a link in show notes. Um, they just explained what on fleek was, but if you listen to the show, you probably already know. Yeah, and did apparently. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel and Kevin Spacey are not fans of the show, which is surprising and stunning and hurtful all in one because they had a conversation on the Jimmy Kimmel show, I guess, towards the end of last month. And that uh, had a corresponding article on time. And I thought to myself, I know things that people that are part of pop culture don't even know. Um, that was a really great clip, too, because it's funny to see two guys that are of the age that they are. I believe Jimmy Kimmel is probably older than most people give him credit for. Not that I have anything it's, against you. It's Jimmy always Kimmel. it's always disconcerting to me now when I hear Kevin Spacey talk and it's not with a Southern drawl. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've I've definitely known Kevin Spacey before House of Cards, but he in my head has become so like integrated with Frank Underwood that mm-hmm. yeah, so that's always it's kind of the definition of synonymous at this point. Yes, that's that's what I should be using all of my time watching is something with some sort of credibility like House of Cards and not and not Bob's Burgers. So good. Now Bob's Burgers has all sorts of cred. That's what I've been doing for the last two days. I have been, uh, I've been, I've been home. I've been ill, uh, mm-hmm. which is another reason why we haven't picked up and recorded earlier, uh, because apparently you're supposed to cook fish tacos for a little longer than I did. So um, <laughs> you're going for fish- like ceviche tacos. <laughs> well, I don't really know that that was the best move. So I stayed home today, and I stayed home yesterday to help with some work things. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I do want to talk a little bit more about the Evernote changes that have come along as far as like their pricing plan and their structure and everything else. Um, friend of the show, Jake Bilbray, uh, let me know about these, I think, right as they announced it. I don't know if he is directly like he's, tapped into these news sources or how this works. He's just like a sponge of news like this. Like He hears about it so quickly. 
he's a man about the internet. He is. He is indeed. So not too long after we spoke about Evernote on one of our previous episodes, Evernote went through a little bit of a, of a pricing structure change. And uh, I believe we talked before about how when you used to be when you upgraded from Evernote Free to Evernote Premium, uh, your note size allowance got larger and the maximum upload you had every month went from, I think, 250 megabytes to a gigabyte yeah. and, and things like that. Um, it has jumped up considerably now. The Evernote Premium... I believe it's Evernote Plus and Evernote Premium. I don't know. We we started making these show notes probably a few, at least a few weeks ago, and so I probably should have been more thorough. It was one of those things I was like, ah, I'll remember, and now I <laughs> So there will be a link to the new pricing structure in the show notes, but they now have Evernote Premium for $10 a month and Evernote Plus for $5 a month, and they still have the free tier. And the only thing that was lost on the free tier that I actually use that you now have to play, pay for Evernote Plus for is um, the emailing notes directly into Evernote, hmm. which I will miss. Yeah. But now, if you have Evernote Premium, which is still the $10 a month, unlimited uploads per month. Wow. Oh, I don't, even know, I don't well, know what I would do with that. I, well, I know some people who just will, like, every single asset they upload to Twitter or Facebook, they also sort of, like, back up in Evernote. I think, uh, I think Jake is one of those, like, digital hoarders that would do something like that. So he definitely has a very complicated... A uh, series of like if then then that rules that involve Evernote somehow. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, you might as well when come the uh, come the apocalypse, you might as well you know the get digital all of your apocalypse. Make yeah. sure it's saved on somebody's servers. Yeah, redundancy upon redundancy. Yeah, hopefully he's just printing out all those Evernotes, keeping we, them in a safe somewhere. Yeah, because that's that's. I was going to say that's the safe thing to do. So, and, so would you? So would you? Say I'm not proud of that. Would you say that the uh, uh, the five dollar month plan is something that you would switch to? Um, I'm still on free, and I've been on free for a long time. Um, but with the uh, the allowances that are now that come with part of the plus plan, I would consider maybe doing it because you can go month to month and yeah. it's only five bucks. And I think it bumps down to probably like, I don't know, the equivalent of four twenty five or four fifty If you buy a whole year in advance, yeah. um, I would probably try it for a month or two, but I am so often on with Evernote that I just don't know that I would get even the $5 use out of it every month because I think to myself, Oh, it's only $5 a month, but I think about the other things that I'm paying for for a subscription service. You know, I think about yeah. Hulu and Netflix, and uh, we we leech off of Amazon Prime account, but we're going to be doing that again next year. Yeah. I've considered doing the Blue Bottle subscription, which if anyone out there has any more information about how well that works out, please let me know. Because I'm going to subscribe to Coffee Andy Wellfully, because why not? Maybe I just had Blue Bottle today. Maybe you're the transcoastal jet setter, but I subscribe to Coffee and have an artisan timer app on my iPhone. So <laughs> what then? You go to coffee shops. I just have one in my home. <laughs> um, we got a comment on the blog post from – because we obviously have a blog post that goes up with the show notes in it every time. Got a comment on the blog post last time when we were talking about um, writing – and I actually have no idea what episode eight was about. Were we? Was that this year? Did we record episode eight sometime in the last six months? I assume it's, it's I, all just a blur I, to me. I've slept. You know what? My life is just a series of like cocaine and you know airplane trips. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, if we didn't already have a show intro, that would be the new one. My, my my life is just a series of cocaine and, and airplane trips. Maybe that's the title. No, it's it's been a little <laughs> while, but we did get um, uh, a comment that. We talked about – oh, no, this is from way, way back when we were talking about writing. We were talking about different ways that you – the Markdown episode. 
you know, oh, what, are we talking about the Hemingway? That actually was an episode this year. Yeah, we're talking the about Hemingway? the Hemingway and yeah. Stack Edit and all these things. And someone actually, it's good to know that people are going back and listening to the the archive catalog. Thanks, folks, for going back and listening to those episodes. Um, we talked about the Hemingway, which is still a laughable idea to me, but hey, some people are into that. And we talked about um, Stack Edit amongst other different markdown composers on the internet. What we failed to mention was a thing called Hemingway Mode that is available in stack edit where you can't go back and change things. I think you only get one line of text at once and you just type and type and type and type and type. It has no appeal to me whatsoever because if I can't put what I'm writing into context, it doesn't work for me. I realize that defeats the purpose for a lot of people, but I just don't know why it's called Hemingway mode and not like, um, uh, crap, uh, Kerouac mode because he's the one who like would just put a roll of like linen paper in his typewriter and just keep typing and typing and typing. Um, just like on a, almost like on a scroll, huh. like on the road is entirely written on just one big long roll of like paper, and it was touring the company for a while, or touring the country for a while in libraries. I I got to see it, and it was just like one stream of consciousness that was later edited lightly, but was just like that. I feel so, like on the road would lose something if it was edited too heavily. Yeah, yeah, and and Hemingway stuff. I always think. Like his finished product is always very tight and well written, and right. so it, to me, I I just think that should be called Kerouac mode. But that's just me. Yeah, we don't get to set. We we know pop culture and we're ahead of the curve, but we don't get to set the rules for these things. Apparently. Yeah, it's true. Maybe it's, when we make our Markdown app, yes, uh, we'll call it go, Kerouac mode. To go into the app store that only has two or three, so obviously the competition. Oh yeah. Won't. Oh yeah. Well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do it for some obscure platform like Newton or Linux. Or Linux, yeah, yeah, because there's not enough out there. I've been, I've been, still been using the Sublime Text. I'm on the same to do system I was on when we did the to do episode three weeks ago. Or Look at you, all ago. consistent and shit. I know. I'm trying. Yeah. I think um, task paper works for me, and by that I mean I'm not putting my tasks in anything now. Yeah. It, it, it just sits there, and the carrot sits and blinks at me, and I'm like, oh, that's a nice thing to do. So I'm 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 still trying it. It's basically just because I like Sublime Text so much, I can go in and just tweak and play around with things. I got a new pack like of uh, index cards from Dr. Hans Noodleman, who's a friend of Erasable, and he he gave them to me. So I'm I'm kind of back on the index cards for to dos. Look at us. Yeah. Staying together. Yeah. Look at things. Staying on task. Definitely not on topic. <laughs> um, that's what we call an awkward segue. Let's talk about this week's topic, Andy Wellesley. Yeah. So, what to talk about this week? Because this is... So this is near and dear to my heart because I... You may not know this, but I am an English literature major. You have mentioned this once have or twice. I? Okay. So... To uh, personally, perhaps not to the listeners, you're an English lit major. I'm a journalism major. Look at us putting those degrees to work for. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I definitely I, – I start off as a communications major, and I realized that I really love my lit classes. I like to read and discuss. So I just switched over, and I was like, eh, I'll still be able to – you know, this degree will be just as worthless if it was communications as it is with English lit. So I uh, switched to that, so I love to read. And uh, this week we're talking all about reading. Um, it's, it's a topic that I don't think 10 years ago would have been relevant for the show because you wouldn't really read something that wasn't on paper. Um, yeah, I don't know how much of a digital in, I don't know how much of a digital influence there was on reading. Yeah, years ago, I think we were still doing books on tape and books on CD. That's about as digital as it got. And there were some like wacky ebook readers. I think that Sony had one. Um, they still have one, but it was like slow and arduous and annoying. But the Kindle pretty much just made everything 
like they standardized ebook readers and yeah yeah so so yeah it's uh, it's interesting that we're talking about this because um on my other podcast erasable um we um are going to we're having a book club uh, we're talking about a book uh, about stationery written by James Ward called Power of the Paperclip. Um, unless you're in the UK in which it's called, uh, Adventures in Stationery. Um, which is such a, it's such a great name. Yeah. Well, we. Like Power of the Paperclip's not bad, but Adventures in Stationery sounds yeah. like it would be a really, really awesome cartoon. Well, I was, I was, I was reading the intro to the America, to Power of the, uh, Perfection of the Paperclip, and he was talking about how most Americans think of stationery as like fancy paper and envelopes that you buy at like papyrus or paper source, and you don't think of just like paperclips and whiteout and stuff like that as stationery. And I do, I, I call that stationery, but I I don't know. I I think a but lot you're of you're stationery snob, so that's yeah. how these things work. So you uh, spent sixty dollars on loose so pencils. As much as I have been jet setting, Jake, who we talked about earlier, uh, has been jet setting even more. He was in London. He brought me back the UK version of the book, which is pretty. Oh, cool. that was super cool of him. And so uh, he also brought me back a pencil with a um, little crown on the end of it that he picked up at the like at the Crown Jewels, like the Tower of London uh, Crown Jewels, the gift shop. You have so many so awesome pencils. Awesome. You should do a podcast about that. I should. I should. That, uh, that might be that might be monetizable. Yeah. So um so yeah, so that's I've just been thinking a lot about reading lately cuz I I definitely I read a lot, but I I kind of go in phases. Like I'll read something and then I'm like I don't know what I'm going to read next, so I'm just going to read Reddit at night. So oh, sometimes it. I just read Reddit and sometimes I read a book. That's a time suck. Yeah. Of oh, yeah. The, of the most worthwhile nature. Um yeah. Well, you've been traveling. Did you read? Did you read on the plane? I did. So, um, I actually back in 2011. I have talked about this before, but I um, got a job in California. I just worked from home, but I traveled back and forth a couple times. So, for Christmas that year, I got a Kindle, um, and I was sort of, I was sort of against Kindles and ebook readers because I like paper and I like the tactile feeling of it, and and everything. You felt like you were cheating on books. Yeah, but I. One of the things I do is I I sometimes I tend to have like more than one book going at once. I'll have like a novel and then maybe a book of like short stories or something like that. Um, and I realize that on the plane it's a big pain in the butt to um, just to bring like books with me back and forth. So I got a Kindle. Um, I got a couple books, um, and I uh, loaded them up. And it's so great. It's it's they're it's super thin. You can read on a plane really easily. Um, nowadays, uh, you don't have to turn off your Kindle, uh, before takeoff. It's now considered a small electronic device that you can just have in airplane mode and take on like constantly read on the plane. Um, and so I just still do the same thing. I just find a few books that I want, load them up, um, and go back and forth. Um, from San Francisco to New York, I was definitely reading my, um, reading my Kindle. Yeah, I, I I got one as a gift from a friend of mine a couple of years ago, just because they had an ex. Like he and his wife had both gotten either Kindle Touches recently, or had just they had newer versions, but they still had a Kindle keyboard sitting around they weren't using, and they said. Um, you know, here's this, you can have it. And I was like, oh, sweet. Because you know, I, like most people that I assume listen to this podcast, am all like, ooh, fun electronic things. If yeah. I can't figure out how to make it work, I can hack it into something weird. Um, and I still have that same Kindle keyboard that is probably at this point, 
Uh, I've you had know, it for two years. It's probably six or seven years old, and I don't care. You know that Kindle with the keyboard? Um, I had the, like, the first one that was not white but in um, like a graphite color. That's what I and have. I, I loved it. I actually I lent it to my mother, and she lost it. Um, so I, I switched to a Kindle Touch, which I actually sort of like the one without the touch because I could touch the screen and not flip the page. So now yeah. I def- definitely have to keep my hand on the bezel. Um, so I no, can't I- quite hold it the same. But. I love it. It's pretty much it's how I do the majority of my reading because I don't read books that often, which we can talk about a little more here in a minute. Yeah. But um, because of the types of reading that I do and, and Instapaper and how all that gets sent over automatically, yeah. thanks, automation. Um, <laughs> it, it works out really well for me. Also, I have found that I am uh, remarkably affected by blue light. Yeah. So um, that whole there's the different coloring of the light and the way that it affects your circadian rhythms and your melatonin yada yada so i probably shouldn't be staring at a computer screen at what is uh 10 50 almost 11 o'clock no i can't well, tell time and it's 9 50 where i am my wife reads on uh an ipad and she actually just finished crime and punishment on an ipad which oh she did get amazing. done with that she she did get done with it she's been reading it for so long um but she um so she reads on an ipad and and the, my favorite thing about reading on a Kindle or or a Nook or any other like e-reader device is that e-ink display. Um, it's so high contrast and so low backlight that it really does feel like you're reading a book. You don't get eye strain from like for staring at a computer screen too long. Um, that e-ink display is just so great. It's sharp. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you wouldn't want to watch a YouTube video on it, but um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. I like it a lot. Nope. Browsing the web on it is painful. Oh yeah, it's it's actually kind of fun to do. I like to see how like things like websites that I've built render in like in, in the Kindle browser. But uh, I I've checked Twitter on there multiple times and it's 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 painful yeah. to do. It's functional. Yeah. Um. It just it's it's not easy because I don't have no. the 3G version. I just have the Wi-Fi version. Yep. Me too. And sometimes I'll be in places where I'm like, oh, my phone's about to die. I need to turn it on airplane mode in case I have to. Because uh, I'm, you know, me, I'm super anxious. Uh, if I have to have that two percent in case something happens and I sever my left foot and I have to call an ambulance in some <laughs> sort of horrible, I don't know, copier accident. Yeah. So I have tried to check Twitter on that before. It's it's not <laughs> the greatest, but I do I do love it as, especially if you keep the wireless off, the battery stays for oh, forever. You know, the first when the Kindle first came out, I remember. Um, if you remember right, they. They had kind of unlimited 3G connectivity, right. and uh, I remember reading an XKCD comic, and um, some guy was talking about how um, you know this. You have this little tablet that you can access Wikipedia across the air, the like collection of all human knowledge, like Wikipedia. And he's like, "What's this?" And he starts scratching off, and it said underneath the back cover in um, big friendly letters, it said, "Don't panic." And so they uh, they equated the Kindle to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is pretty cool. And also a novel referenced on an episode, yes, of, of bipolar of, of bipolar, which is another podcast that I used to record on this network and may record <laughs> again sometime in the future. Um, I tell you what, nail feature Andy down. I t- he, between the job and the baby, it's almost like he's got his priorities straight. And you know what? He doesn't need friends anymore. He has an Apple Watch. 
Oh, doesn't he though? Yeah. All the cool kids got the Apple Watches, so you uh, know what that I means. I do not have an Apple Watch. No, no, I didn't get one either. It yeah. just means that I don't have three hundred fifty or four hundred dollars to spend on a tiny square to put on my wrist. I um actually, this is really weird. I'm going to reference my friend Jake again, but he got an Apple Watch and gave me his old like Fitbit, the one that clips to your pocket. Uh huh. So I have been quantifying my life, and my steps, and my sleep. So uh, that that's do that's you a have pockets in your jammies? Um, well, when you wear it, um, wait, don't night, tell me where you clip it when you sleep. Just don't, when, I don't know if it, I want to know where this is going to go. There's a little like wristband that you put it in at night. Oh, so okay. you, you just wear it on your wrist. All right. I, yeah, I've, I wanted to do that because we had standardized testing at school a couple weeks ago yeah. and I knew I wasn't going to be able to sit down because I have to be, it has to be dead silent in the room and there can't, I can't read. I can't use any electronic devices. And I wanted to check and track how many steps I took because I was just, meandering around the room aimlessly because if I stayed f- still for too long it was going to be it was going to be bad um so I'm not quantifying my life um <laughs> I I will say the only drawback I have found to the version of the Kindle that I have is it is not the most legible font yeah um, and I wish that I could change through that but I believe that's only available in newer versions if that's even available in newer versions can um, you do that can you change the font I think so I usually just leave it on the the default uh Seraphon that they have, but I don't have a problem with that. I've been playing around with fonts a lot recently because yeah. I've been trying to find my perfect monospace font because I'm a huge dork like that. Um, oh, I have one to send you about coding at some point. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Speaking of fonts, and I believe that it's important for me to mention fonts as I go into this, I think one of the things that often gets overlooked when people are moving from analog books to digital books is the amount of time and effort and energy that goes into the publication and the – you were talking about the tactile feel of books before. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's also something about like the way that the the is it is it kerning? That's what that's what that is. I think that's a word that they use. Like just things all the way down to the kerning and the cover art and the font that they use in the book and how things are spaced and the set of the margins. There's there's an attention to detail yeah. that goes to making an analog book. Um, there's there's definitely a talk about before that he really um, that he really appreciates. Um, there's that definitely you just don't get a digital book. There's some definitely some things lost when you do that, just because um, you know whatever the like recommended kerning and leading and margins of of a Kindle book is, or and when I say Kindle, I just use it to mean like any ebook reader. Um, there's something that's lost because you can control it yourself and. Oftentimes, um, as Marco Arment has talked about with Instapaper, uh, what people think they want to have for margins and font and color is often not the best one for them. So I, I'm, I am of the opinion that you know the publisher, they're professionals, they pick this for a reason. Um, so that's what we should do. Um, but at the same time, yeah, definitely a lot of that is lost. And even, even book covers – you know, most e-ink displays are just black and white, so um, there's a lot lost there too. Yeah, I I feel like there is a great deal of that lost in some of the digital reading that I do in in the same vein that, uh, for instance, I read the Brooks Review by Ben Brooks, and yeah. uh, he has done a wonderful job designing his site so that it is very approachable yet minimalist. It's easy to focus on uh, the text and the content, and I don't ever actually see any of that because the feeds pop up my RSS feeder and I send them over to Instapaper. And I feel kind of weird about, um, like, 
I feel like there's a lot of uh, Josh Ginter does it on his site too. They've just put a lot of time and effort and energy in the, into making sure that everything on their site is perfect and legible and good. And I feel like I'm shortchanging them yeah. by sending things over to Instapaper, and I feel like I'm not doing things right. But at the same time, goodness gracious, it's just so much easier than having sites that I go to every day. Yeah, yeah. Um. So there are, well. This is a really bad segue, especially since I'm stuttering into it. How do you find what you're going to read? Speaking of, you know, RSS and Instapaper and the way that, that I do things, you're kind of uh, you seem to be more of the book reader amongst us. How do you discover good things that you want to read, be they articles on the internet or in an actual physical newspaper if they still print those um, and books and things like that? Well, when it comes to actual books, um, I actually. St- really love going into bookstores and just kind of browsing that way. I still very much like to just like see something. I do judge books by its cover sometimes. Um, I really love just going into a bookstore and I use um, Goodreads, which is kind of like, do you use Goodreads? I have. Um, I'm kind of it, it's, I'm in it, and out. I, I it think has so that much there potential. Are people, yeah. Well, there are people that are super into Goodreads. And, and I'm, I'm not. I use it al- almost only for just tracking books I want to read. Um, they have an exceptional, at least for iPhone, they have an exceptional scanning app. And um, you basically just scan the ISBN number on the back and it will add it to a to a to-read shelf. And then I'll just kind of like every once in a while go through that, prune it out, decide whether or not I want to read something on there. Um, so I, I do that. I mostly go through bookstores and like find books that way. Um, I hear somebody talk about it. Um, I actually have found a few books from Harry Marx's podcast, um, which we talked about him earlier, Covered, which we talk about. We talked about when he was on, plus um, uh, we'll have a link in show notes to go listen to his podcast. Um, yeah, he sits down with authors and yeah. talks to them about their process and their inspirations and things there's, like that. And if you're really, interested in, in that stuff, it's really good. There was a really good one not too long ago um, with an author who wrote a book about like organizing and cleaning and throwing things away. And it's the opposite of like my every like bone in my body's instinct. And so it's fascinating to listen to. Are you um, a hoarder, Andy Waffling? I am. We should, we actually, uh, I think Chase Nordengren has talked about this. We need to do an episode about digital versus like physical hoarding and, and not yeah, like absolutely not hoarding in like the pathological sense where you keep you know, like diapers and pizza boxes, but just keeping a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah, that, that needs to come up soon, but I, I am definitely a cluttered person, um, who tries to be a minimalist, uh, not cluttered person and I will never achieve that, but it's kind of like. It's kind of like enlightenment in, in the Buddhist tradition. It's something I aspire to, but probably will never achieve. Um, so I definitely do that. And then I do find, I read a lot of science fiction as well as, you know, non-genre literature. Um, and I love, um, io9 publishes every month a list of their favorite sci-fi and fantasy books for the, for the month. Uh-huh. And I have a, um, IFTTT set up. So every time that publishes, it goes straight to my pin board. And so when I'm looking for some new books to read, I just look back through the last few of those, and I, d- I always find something there. Um, that I'm, seems like a really good idea. I'm a huge fan of um, um, every year there's the year's best science fiction from that year. I think we're on issue 31, which is a lot of short stories and novellas that have um, just had critical acclaim that was published in the last year. And I do love a short story, so I've, I'm actually reading that right now, the one from 2014. That's pretty good. How does your tendency to hold on to items 
uh, work out. Well, how did it work when you decided that you were going to move? Because moving with <laughs> a large selection of books, as someone who has done it every time, it seems yeah. like every time my wife and I move, we're like, all right, we're just gonna we're gonna donate this box of books, or we're gonna go sell this box of books to the used bookstore. And every time we've got another box, I'm like, didn't we just get rid of all of? Didn't we just get rid of all the ones we didn't want last time? And I've been yeah. Well, like, my- we talk about the digital and the physical hoarding, and when my wife helped me pack up my one bedroom apartment when we both still live separately before we can go to. New New York. I think she just looked at me about a dozen times and thought silently, "Sweet God, what am I getting myself into with this man?" Because he has everything, and he has like multiples of them. And books were definitely one. I just had like copy papers, like the boxes of copy paper, the ones that are the super, the stronger boxes. I probably had, I don't know, a half dozen in my closet of books that I don't even know that I'd looked at in years, but I, I had to keep them. Yeah, I um, I definitely never. Until the move out here, we've always moved to a bigger place than we had last time. So I never really, you know, pruned out my book collection. I had books from college. I had a whole bunch. I had a whole bunch of Agatha Christie books that were my mother's paperbacks from like the '60s and '70s. Um, she like was cleaning out her closet and she gave me a bunch, um, and I just gave them right back to her. Um, but I, I definitely just went through and just was ruthless and pruned out books that I probably wouldn't read again or I kept books that I knew I would read again and that I was particularly sentimental toward or like books that, and and I'll admit it, like sometimes people judge people by their bookshelves and I definitely kept books that I felt like was integral to me being who I am. Um, So I, I definitely pruned a lot and I I bet I got my collection down to mm, a little less than half of what it was before. And, That's not bad. It's not bad. And I, and I definitely I I kept I gave some back to my parents just to have because I knew they wouldn't throw them away. I have some of like old Snoopy books from like the, the oh when when did they start Peanuts in the seventies? Sure. Yeah. From from a long time ago, I had like old paperbacks from that and like old pulp sci fi books. So and then a lot of them I just took to half price books. Do you have a half half price books? No, we have uh, we have a local chain, which now that I'm trying to think of the name of it, uh, escapes me. We used to go to Powell's when we were in uh, yeah, Portland. If you, yeah. yeah, Powell's is wonderful. It's not what we have here. Here, um, I'm gonna have to look it up, but it's it's wonderful. There's two of them, or there's three of them. There's one in Chattanooga, there's one in Knoxville, and there's one uh, on the outskirts of Nashville, and it is um, it's yeah. wonderful because they'll they'll take back just about just about anything. Yeah, and people will roll in with just cartloads upon cartloads of books and they give you reasonable credit for you know most of them and if they don't take them and you don't want them they've got the free bins outside you can't beat a free bins yeah absolutely i have Um, found many a star trek novel in a free bin i showed up to school this year with extra copies of hound of the baskervilles when i was teaching it because i forgot to ask for someone to transfer the copies to me via our inner office thing before i started my unit and so we went i think it was on memorial day actually when uh, not memorial day labor day actually went to um mckay's is what it's called mckay's and m little c big k-a-y-s um and bought every copy that they had of either a hound of the baskervilles or the complete works of Sherlock Holmes, uh, so that there was something in there. Um, I, I definitely still have my paper copy of the complete works, just because I I'm a huge Arthur Conan Doyle fan, and and honestly, like I love Sherlock Holmes stories that are written by others. I have somewhere I have one that I actually gave back to a friend. I was borrowing it for years. Um, it was sh- epi- uh, it was short stories of Sherlock Holmes written by famous authors in the style of other famous authors. 
That so, sounds complicated uh, and awesome. And so, like, there was one that was – I can't remember who wrote it, but it was a Sherlock Holmes story as written by Gilbert and Sullivan. And so it was an operetta, and it was um, Sherlock Holmes meets um, – oh, uh, the prime minister at the time who was like made fun of in HMS Pinafore, which is a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. Um, yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a whole bunch of, of them like that short stories. It's so great. Yeah. I love me some Sherlock Holmes. You do. You yeah. do. Now I know what to do with the extra copies of my books. I actually managed to pay for a copy of a book that actually belonged in my classroom. I, <laughs> I purchased it and was on my way home and flipped it open. And it said property of the gifted education department, Rutherford County schools. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> That's that's where I work. I know that and place. I, I just paid fifteen cents for this. Yeah. I got ripped off. Um, well, speaking of old books, do you are you still a, a man that frequents a library at all? Do you know where the libraries are in San Mateo? I did. We I do. We went to get our our library cards, and it's it's cool because here to prove your address, you um, you fill out a postcard and they mail it to you, and if you bring it back, then you can get a library card because they know they know that's your address. Oh, um, that's. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, I nowadays I, I I do I haven't been to the library out here to rent books. I definitely used it a lot in um, in Fort Wayne. Um, I I think I I use a library more as like a workspace often, um, and I'm I'm glad the library is there. I, I nowadays with all the ebooks like digital books that I read. I don't know if you've ever used Overdrive, which is like the ebook lending system for libraries, but there are some shitty books in there. Well, there's there are some there, there are occasionally there are good books in there. That's where I read. Um, I think it's it's Hatched or whatever the story of the origins of Twitter was. Really? It's, yeah. Which, if you oh. haven't read that, is an amazing book. Um, the one, yeah, the, I borrowed the, it from the library in the small town that I lived in before I moved to this considerably smaller town. That's interesting because, like, at least the last time I looked in Overdrive, at least at least the tier of Overdrive that the Ellen County Public Library had, which is the the Fort Wayne one, um, they had mostly like romance novels and second rate Christian rapture fiction. So they didn't even have like, um, oh, what's the name of the big one? They didn't even have the Kirk Cameron stuff. Oh no, the um left they didn't even have the left behind series. It left was behind, like, that's it was like yeah, worse than that. So Did uh, you know that Kirk Cameron and Candace Cameron from Full House are siblings? I do. I did know that actually. I did not know that. I uh, just, now that we have made <laughs> um a full house left behind connection, it's connected to books. I, I think so. Um I have uh, been past the full house house out they here in out here in San Francisco. They way, way, way up here. Yeah, way, um, way up there in, in in the San Francisco. Yeah. I have I've used Overdrive. I agree with you that more often than not, it's it's more missed than hit. Yeah. Um, but I think that there are some things to be found in there. Maybe yeah. it's that my the library system that I was a part of used that, and maybe they had another system of some kind that had the better books in them. Um, they've actually gone over to being able to check out digital books at my school libraries where I work. Oh, that's fancy. Um, yeah, they allow them to check out the digital books and read them on computers, or if they have e-readers or some sort of electronic device, they can transfer them to that. They yeah. will let the kids check out e-readers as well, as long as they don't take them home from school. So if they need to read them in uh, the study hall periods or the advisory periods or whatever, they can keep them there in the building. I have a um, friend who, sh- who shall remain nameless who figured out a very complicated system of stripping the DRM from uh, from lint, lint e-books like that. It's uh, – Super complicated, but it works. It's probably good to leave that friend nameless. Yeah, um, or so I've heard. 
that's probably a topic that we should address because it is sort of the literary elephant in the room. Um, as we talk about digital files and formats and reading and books and things like that, uh, Andy and I would be – we wouldn't be doing ourselves justice if we were not to mention that there are probably – if you look hard enough in certain places, you may not want to hang out because there are probably ads that will scar your eyes forever. There are places to find just about every book on the internet gratis. Uh, yeah. That does not mean that either Andy or myself endorse or practice this. It also doesn't mean we don't. Because honestly, this. sometimes you are doing yourself a disservice because along with pirated ebooks, um, you sometimes find very poor translations of said ebooks. I will, um, this happened to uh, a friend. Uh, well, that friend is me. Um, I was reading a. A uh, bootleg copy of the girl with the dragon tattoo, and it was tran- it was not the official English translation. It was translated apparently by somebody else, and I was like, "Oh, this is like an interesting book, but it's it's kind of like poorly translated." I wonder how so many people read this. And at some point, I uh, was at my aunt's house, and she had a copy of um, she had a, a paper copy of it, and I picked it up, and I was looking through it, and I was like, "This is totally different than what I was reading." You read a different. Uh, and and I I know that there was for example before Harry Potter was available via ebook there were pirated versions online and and I have not read these but I've heard somebody say that the guy with the OCR scanner who put them in there um, uh, wrote himself as a character in a minor character into the the series so if That's you amazing. yeah if you read if you read that version. Um, there's a whole other character that you might not know about, which is that's the greatest. Pretty great, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna try to find a link to something about that and put it in the show notes because should, that is. <laughs> should we talk about uh, file formats of eBooks? Yeah. What do you What do you know? What do you What What confuses so, you? So what's confusing is that um, probably this. I would say the standard of eBooks out there is probably EPUB. Uh, EPUB yeah, format, which it, is read by people read that. Yeah, well, not everything. Um, which is read by Nook, which is read by like iBooks, which is read by most ebook readers, except Kindle. Kindle that is true. Kindle has to convert, and and that's the trouble is you know that's a pretty big standard, and so they have a, a there's a couple that Kindle reads. They have .dot mobi m o b i and .dot azw. I don't know the difference. I think AZW is their proprietary one, um, and Mobi is just a format that they they read. Um, so often, oftentimes, if you um, buy, if you purchase or download or uh, an ebook, um, it will be an EPUB. And uh, and then you know what? There are some in PDF as well. Um, yeah. The trouble with PDF is it it takes both images and text. So sometimes it's literally a scan of a paper book in PDF form. And, it's brutal because the that's, font is about... And that's no good for anyone. No. Um, so you definitely... Um, the, the other trouble with, with EPA, uh, uh, PDF is sometimes uh, the line breaks are coded as hard line breaks in there. So if your um, ebook reader is not the same format, um, it's not the same width, you will have some extra funky line breaks which really disrupts the reading. Um, that has happened to me. Yeah. The other thing that had the other thing that really bothers me when it when someone is doing the OCR via PDF like that. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine who is also conveniently me was reading a copy of a novel where every time there was an apostrophe, oh, it, it was, put the Unicode it was, in there. It was percent encoded. Yep. Um, 
And oh, you yeah. think I can do, or it may, I don't know if it was an apostrophe or it might have been parentheses, or it was, it was just one or two pieces of punctuation that you think to yourself, oh, this doesn't pop up very often. Nope. I was reading a Bill Bryson book. Oh, yeah. He uses, um, he uses parenthetical asides all the time. Yeah. And it so just it really does break the flow. You think to yourself, oh, well, I'll save myself the 5 or 6 or $8 so I don't have to pay for the actual digital version of this. And I eventually just said to myself, uh, not only do I like Bill Bryson, I want to give him the 12 cents he's probably going to make off this book, but it's worth the $8 and all of my hair and that I have not yet pulled out. Because, you know, there's somebody professional. And, and honestly, like building one of these things is complicated. There's CSS style sheets. There's a lot of things involved in making an EPUB. Um so, so if um, let's say you buy something from the iBook store in EPUB format, and you're like, I want to read this on my Kindle, there is the handiest app um, for for eBooks in the world. It's called Caliber. Um, no, it's called Calibre, isn't it? Uh, see, this is a discussion that I have had ba- with Bandy someone Tapper. else. Bandy Tapple. Yes, Bandy Tapple. Uh, I'm going to look that up real quick. Why don't you go ahead and tell everyone what the Calibre it's, A-R it's is? It's C-A-L-I-B-R-E. Um, Calibre or Calibre. I have no idea which. Um, it's a pretty open source, free, multi-platform um, uh, library for your your ebooks, And you basically you import them in. Um, you can just drag it to your app. Uh, it will store it in there. You can convert it from one to the other super quickly. Um, on my MacBook Air, it takes maybe for a novel, I, w- I would say it probably takes 15, 20 seconds. Um, and then what's really nice is I can have it emailed just directly uh, from Caliber Calibre to my Kindle. Um, if you have a Kindle, you have a um, email address that's um, username at kindle.com and you can set up like approved uh, email addresses to send things from and uh, you can just send it wirelessly. You can also plug in your uh, your Kindle or, or other ebook reader uh, through the USB port and import things that way. Um, Will is sending me notes now that it is pronounced Caliber. Caliber. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, that is pronounced Caliber. Okay. So unless... I will keep on saying that then. Unless, yeah. for some reason, the um, publisher of the pu- program has decided they're going to call it something different and not put it on their website. It yeah. is Caliber, so I have been calling it the wrong thing if you're, for years. Yeah. If you're a big metadata nerd, you can uh, change the metadata. Um, you, can, you can rank them in certain series. Um, you can change the cover of it. Let's say you have a copy of um, The Great Gatsby that you want to have the old like original first series cover on. You can find an image of that and drag it to that. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, the only trouble is, and Will, you will understand this, is every damn time you start that thing up, there's a new version out there. Oh, God. They, they don't use any sort of an auto-update or and they probably release a new version. I would say weekly. Would you say weekly? It's it's often enough that I think to myself, do I really want to go through yeah. the updating and or send uh, it? It's pretty um, resource heavy, and especially when it's trying to convert. Oh god, yeah, it definitely ties everything up. Um, and and they actually just recently switched from beta to a 1.0, so uh, that's out there, which is nice. Uh, at yeah, least for, at least for Mac. I don't know if they're on the same schedule for other platforms. Um, but yeah, I it's. I use it to manage things on my Kindle, but I also I've also used it for comic book management. Oh, that's a good idea. Because it'll uh, it'll handle the comic book formats. Yeah. Uh, because I have been known to read comic books on 
uh, my my Nexus, not my phone. I think people that read comic books on reg, um, I guess still have the iPhone five. I know, I know, I know. It's going to be July soon enough. Um, I think people that try to read them on those tiny screens are are cray cray. My eyes would I, just go crossed. Oh yeah, well even more so than they already yeah. are. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, it's, <laughs> How did you know? Uh, <laughs> there are pictures of you on the internet. Um, <laughs> No, it's it's re- it's just it's really handy. It's one of those things that the UI leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, it yeah, is definitely not a very attractive program, but goodness yeah. gracious, it, so it'll handy. it'll do some work. Um, you can convert to so many different file formats. It does a pretty good job of parsing um, PDFs. Just like it, it sometimes the line breaks stay in there, but you can also set it so if it is a um, an ebook where. Um, a new paragraph is is not a double spaced line. It's just um, a single line with a tab. You can change it so it puts a half a half a line in there um, to break it up a little bit more. It's it's really handy. Um, I use it a lot, and it's it's not something. I mean, a lot. It's definitely useful for pirated eBooks, but it's definitely it's also useful for just your own library as well. Um, yeah, because there are like there library. are copies. Of- there are copies of things I have in iBooks, either from a Starbucks, you know, this is your free download of the week, whatever, yeah. or that I have purchased because it's only available through iBooks that, yeah. um, again, I'm not going to do a whole lot of reading on my iPhone 5. And I was informed this week that the iPad is not our device. It is my wife's device. <laughs> so I don't get to read on the iPad very often either. Um, so I want to be able to convert it to where I can read it on my Nexus 7 or if I am feeling crazy and I want to read it on the computer, then I will. Um, the only thing she loves more than money is the, her iPad. It's Well, she could probably buy a new iPad with, with, with the money, um, <laughs> which joke's on her. I quit my job. Um, <laughs> we'll talk, yeah, we'll talk about that in a future episode too. Um, but speaking of things that are multiple platform, cross platform, uh, and we've talked about the Kindle already. Not only does Kindle have the actual physical e-reader, of which I believe there have now been about thirty-seven different um, yeah. renditions of. Yeah. Um, they also have the Kindle app, which yeah. is available for just about everything. I have to admit that I've never used the Kindle app, um, but my wife has. That's what she read *Crime and Punishment* on, and it seems really nice. It does. Uh, everything that you know the Kindle does, it's it's a little bit faster to turn a page because it's not that e-ink display, um, and you can yeah you can control a lot of like appearance settings. the The system for uh, organizing your books is pretty good, and because when you send something to Kindle, first it puts it kind of like on the cloud, um, and then it just downloads it to your devices. You can keep your let's say you have an iPad and a Kindle, you can keep them in sync pretty well. Yeah, and I um I use it to um I use it to take notes on things. Yeah. Because yep. I do a lot of my reading through Instapaper and I have it set up so that Instapaper will automatically send a digest of unread articles to my Kindle at the end of the day, which means it goes and it hides up there in the cloud as well. And if I am doing research for an episode of the podcast or if I'm doing research for something Wait, you do research? Or- Every once in a while. Wait, for this podcast? No, not typically. Oh, good. Um, somebody's got to find the link somehow. We've got to keep coming up with ideas for something. Yeah. Um, so occasionally I will go through and I will type things. Or, you know, you'll read something and think to yourself, oh, that's something I want to remember later. Or this is really interesting. And it's not just something enough for me to highlight it. I want to figure out why I've highlighted it. Um, yeah. And this actually goes back. Uh, we sent out a, a call for questions via the uh, hashtag Ask.Grid today. And Daniel Taub, who is also conveniently one of the winners of our recent Baron Fig giveaway, 
asked us what some of our note taking habits were um, as far as do we do in the margins? Do we use a digital tool? Do we have a notebook? Um, I really like the note taking system in uh, in the Kindle app because I can highlight it with a bunch of different colors and I love different colors. I can highlight it in a bunch of different colors and I can add the notes to it and I still have the Kindle keyboard so it's considerably easier if I am for some reason taking notes on that to type things out. I don't even want to know what it would be like to try to take notes on a Kindle Touch. Um, it's actually the the touch isn't isn't too bad. I've I've done it a few times. I gen- okay. So for paper space books, um, I sort of uh, OCD like do not like to write in the margins. I really Me either. I do not like to write in my books. I have occasionally. I actually did with this book for erasable um, in pencil, so I can erase it later. Um, but I I, I usually keep a, like a separate notebook for that, and that's what's really great about Field Notes, for example, is it's super easy just to like keep there with your book, and then you know you can pretty easily put that on the inside of your book and take a note while you can still see the the writing. Um, yeah, the text itself. For my for my Kindle, I here's the thing: is nowadays I mostly just read for pleasure. Um, and when I was in college, if if there was such a thing as Kindle when I was in college, and I can't remember exactly when they came out, but if there was a Kindle when I was in college, it was probably pretty crappy. Um, so there was still very much paper books then. I graduated in 06. Um, but I, uh, if I had a Kindle in college, I would probably use that note-taking app a lot. Um, I So I don't take a whole lot of notes now in my ebook, but occasionally I'll try to just say something for later or... Uh, ask myself a question because I know I'll go back over it, but I definitely yeah, I'd highlight it and keep it there. I do highlights, and that's one of the things that, and I'm going to continue to talk about Instapaper for a while just because that's where I do the vast majority of my reading. We've talked, you read books, I read uh, articles more often than not. I do like that Instapaper started doing highlights a while ago, and those um, will sync cross platform, and there's a way for you to just look up the highlights yeah. um, via, I don't know, one of the, the tabby menu selection things i don't know ui ux guy you tell me what they're called uh, i know it's called a hamburger menu um oh that thing it? yeah yeah well you hit it and it comes over the side so, and you some go people to call it a highlights some people call it like a flyout menu or yeah um, one of the flyout menu selections is highlights yeah, i can yeah. click on that um and they're they're making some improvements to that i'm running the instapaper beta so i can't talk about uh exactly what they are i believe i'm under a non-disclosure agreement oh, you're so fancy I'm not entirely sure, but they are making some improvements to that that I'm a big fan of that may flip me back over to using that as opposed to using uh, the Kindle app, even though it's just – it's so darn multi-platform. I have used the Kindle app to read on my computer, which feels super weird to me. Like why am I sitting at a computer screen and reading? Um, I also never understood this week why people sat at their computer and watched Netflix until I actually sat and did it. Yep. I was always like, I should use a tablet or I'm going to watch on the TV. No, I actually yeah. really like sitting here in my computer using my headphones and Heck watching yeah. Bob's Burgers while I make 400 yards of oilcloth bunting. That's as probably not going to be a different episode. You know, as I do, it's, that's my life now. Um, so maybe but we I, should talk about some of those read-it-later services because like Instapaper and Pocket and Readability – yeah, I have a link in the show notes to an article that Lifehacker did a while back and has been updated a couple of times since then. It's not the most most recent, but I think it has a very succinct rundown of what I think are the three most popular read it later services. Really, there's just the the all out battle between Instapaper and Pocket, but readability is still a thing that exists. I, and I, I used, think actually the was the forerunner, front runner, the th- one of the first used ones. to be. I used readability actually mostly just as like the aesthetics um, Tweetbot had a readability um, converter when you were reading something like through Tweetbot. 
So mm-hmm. I had that turned on, but I actually, yeah, I kind of switched back and forth between Instapaper and and Pocket a lot, and I'm I'm currently on Pocket. Um, and I I'm on because, Instapaper. Yeah, I I think Pocket I think was a little before Instapaper and coming out with Actions in iOS eight. It uh, was, and so I I basically and I just hooked everything up to into Pocket Actions, and um, it's so easy because I just hit the little button, send it to my Pocket. Um, sometimes I use it as sort of a graveyard. I'm like, oh, I don't have to read this because I'll read it later, and then I never do. Uh, oh, uh, don't even talk to me about what my Instapaper um, key looks like. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, it's bad. Um, I put a lot of does, things in uh, there, articles about like Facebook or articles about something related to what I do, and I'm like, oh, I'll read this later, and then I just never do because I'm lazy and ignorant. Yeah, the system sends over a digest every day, and it maxes out at 50 articles, and I have had – uh, at least 50 articles sent to my Kindle for many, many weeks now. And I'll go through and I can do it on the Nexus and I can, or I can do it on a tablet, but I can't do it on the computer screen, which is where I do a lot of my reading when I'm supposed to be teaching. Yeah. And I can't organize them by length because I would like to knock out the shorter ones. Oh, that would be really these. useful. Um, you can do it on, you can do it in the app, okay. uh, either on iOS or on, uh, or on, a, or on Android. That's what that's called. Um, you can organize it by, or you can uh, not organize it or categorize it. You can shuffle. What am I looking for here, Andy? What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you put them in order. You can. Ah, oh, that's a thing. Filter sort. Filter sort. That's the word. <laughs> Thanks. It's like ten thirty here, and yeah. I've been sleeping off and on, and I'm on some sort of weird stomach medication. Um, yeah, you can sort them by length, by shortest to longest. And that's what I do, and then I'll knock out two. And in instant you can. Yeah, and Instapaper oh, you can. You can't, do it on, you, you can't do it on the internet, but you can do it on inter- on either of the apps. Huh, because at Pocket on on web, you can't. I wonder if you can do it in Pocket on the app. I have not used Pocket for a while. Every once in a while, I think to myself, oh, I'm going to go back to Pocket. But because of the size of my queue, it takes so long for me to export and import and then import and then see, export and everything see, else. See, you just declare bankruptcy and you just like, you know what? I'm just going to walk away. And just and le- just like, leave it and move over. It's not the queue so much as as it is the archive. Yeah, um, something that I've oh, read. Yeah, well, and now I'm because of the highlighting function on Instapaper that has been something that's really kept me in there because I'll highlight certain passages or phrases or things that I'm pretty sure I'm going to reference later. And of course, I'm backing all of that up in Evernote automatically because I too am a digital hoarder. But I want to have the entire article for context to be able to get back to and not have to click this shortened link, which sends me to this, which sends me to this, which sends me to this, and then sends me to the actual article. I want to actually be able to pull it up in Instapaper. And the other thing is because I do so much of my reading on my e-ink Kindle, uh, Pocket does not automatically send a digest over every day. I have subscribed for a one-time $5 fee to a service that I believe is called Croffler. It's C-R-O-F-F-L-R. There will be a link to it in the show notes. It's 5 bucks. It will send um, in either the Mobi format or the EPUB format to your Kindle, or it'll send it to a Dropbox, or it, or it'll make it upload to Dropbox, or we'll email you um, a digest of articles as often as once a day or as rarely as, I think, once a week at a certain particular time. Um, articles, That's really handy. 
it'll send it will send it from pocket it'll send it from instapaper it'll and this is probably gonna be a good one for you it'll send it from pinboard it'll pull your unreads from pinboard and send them to you and it'll pull from other the longform.org and i think one other site where people can go to find things to read it is really handy the problem is it does not um the rendering is not the best huh so I've used it. I've paid $5 for it. Every time I go back, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can just use Croffler, and it just doesn't send on a regular schedule, and the rendering is not very good. And I'm like, oh, this is why I went back to Instapaper. That's a really stupid name. Well, I don't know. What, I don't know why they went with that. I, maybe, that's a, maybe that's a person's name, dude. I don't know. Maybe well, it is a really good name. Though. Well, if, if you're a person, Mr. Croft, Mr. or Ms. Croffler, that's a stupid name. <laughs> yes. You did, you did not do well with that. Your do you see me naming any of the apps of Wellfly? No, you don't. <laughs> Wellfler? <laughs> Wellfler. Wellfler. Uh, this is the part where it goes off the rails. We still Yay. have so cover. Um, <clears throat> yeah, read, readability was a big deal for a while. I remember when it came out, um, it was on iOS for a long time, and then it came out for, not for Android, but for Kindle Fire. It came out for Kindle yeah. Fire before it came out for Android, and I downloaded it, and it was great. They had a wonderful font selection for a while, but it just doesn't have the. I think I was still using Delicious at that point. I probably so. That's that Delicious was the thing. Too oh, bad. Yeah. Oh yeah. Delicious was wonderful. It was so great, and but then it got ignored. For, but but yeah. luckily, so Delicious was uh, maybe maybe arguably like the first sort of like bookmarking service that wasn't from your browser. And right. it was super social marking. Yeah, it was social. It was super, super, super simple. It was a link and a title and a description and some tags. And you could just you could sort by tags. You could like see a master feed. You could share it pretty easily. Uh, you could turn make bookmarks. And then I believe it's Yahoo bought it and sunsetted it eventually. Well, and, the internet moved on with. And luckily. Um, some uh, pinboard came along, which is something that we have mentioned before and talked a little bit about. Um, we talked about this in another episode, didn't we? Very much pinboard, yeah. Um, and it's a very, it's like an indie developer. I can't remember his name, but he's really interesting. He blogs. Um, he you start- follow him on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I do. He's he's interesting because he's like very honest, and he's like you know, oh yeah, and he's great. Um, so anyhow, pinboard, uh, you you. Pay for it one time, you can get a um, premium subscription. Not anymore. Oh, really? No, now it's annual. If you signed up earlier, it's okay, but now it's eleven dollars a year. Okay, plus the twenty-five for the archiving part. Okay. Yeah, it's now it's now an annual subscription because, uh, according to him on the blog post that he put out, he got sick of trying to explain to people why it was priced the way it was priced. It was priced, which was a so weird. Such a smart pricing model, though. It, it was super smart. It, it it basically rewarded people who got in early. So the more people to sign up, obviously, the more of a server load he would have, and therefore, like people's, uh, the later you signed up, the more you pay. And at one point, so when, like I, when a I signed up, of a cent. Yeah, when I signed, up it, signed up, it was um, like ten dollars and fifty cents ish. Um. So, and I actually got Andy W as my username, which is pretty great. Um, I made the mistake of going with nerd underscore uprising, which is a <laughs> wonderful thing, but really hard to try to explain to people what I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to do a little more business and personal separation. And yeah, nerd underscore uprising, not so much. It's it's there if you want to try to follow me on the pinboard and see what I pin, you can do that. So what's great about pinboard is it it's very much like uh, delicious, and so delicious had been around forever, and so I have so many backlogs of delicious links from like. 
2005, 2006, 2007, and and otherwise they would just be all lost. But I could basically port them over to Pinboard, um, and I still use it. I don't use it so much as a read it later service as I do just a bookmarking service. Like if I read it later and may want to go back to it, I keep it here. So I have I have a bunch of stuff hooked up to it. Um, IFTTT dumps some stuff in there. Um, we talked about that this is how I work stuff that like Lifehacker does. I have one set up to dump all those articles in here. Um, and, and I just sort of, yeah, use it to just store stuff. Um, I use, uh, what is the name of my app? Um, pin pinner. No, hold on. I think it was, I think it was the sweet setups, like, like favored app. I think I paid like six bucks for it, which I don't usually do. Um, yeah, pinner. You're right. How did you know? Yeah, that's what, cause that, that, because that's what I use as well. Okay. <laughs> so you just know we are of ex- extraordinary. Well, this right. was not their original um, recommendation. Yeah, they, they switched it, yeah. Yeah, but I, um, uh, who, whoever wrote the review of Pinboard Apps, I was just harassing him and harassing him and harassing him constantly on Twitter. He was super gracious about it, um, about because they had written the review before iOS 8 came out. And so I was just harassing him because I had purchased the. Uh, I I was subscribed to Pinboard, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And I was like, "Are you guys going to change your recommendation now that iOS eight is out?" And he's like, "Yes, I am, but I can't. Yes, we are. But we're not going to. But I can't tell you what it is because I'm not done with the article yet." And I was like, "Oh God!" Uh, and I felt really bad because the one that they had picked before, and the one that Gabe Weatherhead, who writes at Mac Drifter, and a, a techie person whose opinion I respect a lot, um, they they had both used a, a different app, which is actually made by uh, another small indie developer who's. Uh, located in New Orleans, and the only other app he has made is about New Orleans public transit for trolleys, which is a great niche app. Yeah. Um, I felt really bad about not buying his app because I really like him a great deal, but I have really come to uh, like the developer for Pinner as well, and I have volunteered probably a dozen times to be a beta tester if and when he finally decides to port it to Android because there are no good Android apps for, pin, for Pinboard. So um, it's nice because it's a very... I use the read later sometimes because yeah, it's, it's a, got a later service in Pinboard. It's a very like nice, easy service. They have a good bookmarklet. You can, if you are somebody who's good at using meta tags, which I'm not necessarily, uh, we should do an ep- we should do an episode about meta tags sometime. Um, okay. Uh, there's a, also a really good back to work episode about meta tags that's super great because Merlin is a genius. Um, anyhow, here we here we go again. No, so um, so yeah, that's that's Pinboard. Uh, a lot of people use that as read it later, but I I do not. Um, I I don't either. Some people use Evernote as a read it later, which yeah. if made enough references to that, I tried that for a while. Again with the tags, I just don't and- need to, most things I just don't need to keep. Like that's what I like about Pocket is. I mean, you can archive it, but it just just get rid of it. it just goes away. Yeah, I, like I said, I've, I wasn't such a digital hoarder. I wouldn't keep everything in the archive, and that's yeah. the thing about Instapaper too. Is I can keep it in a folder if I want to, which I know that Pocket has a tags feature, which is similar in the way that folders and tags are similar in every other facet of your lives. But I like that I can just kick it over to the archive and not have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Um, one of the things that had, did that did keep me going back to Pocket a few times, and you talked about this a little bit earlier, and we've talked about the program and the service a few times now, is if this then that integration, which has always been huge for Pocket. Pocket is layers upon layers deep with if this then that, which if you automate your life through that service, then reading digitally and using either of these read ledger services, particularly Pocket, is probably something you're going to want to explore because if this then that does amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, you can set it up to, and I've actually got it set up to do this now when I pin something to pin board because it was always like, do I save it to Instapaper? Do I pin it to pin board? Uh, how do I set it up like this? Blah, blah, blah. I have it so that now I can just send something over to pin board. And if I either set it as a read later on pin board or I tag it with Instapaper, it, if this, then that sends it over to Instapaper anyway. So it'll still send me the digest, but I don't have to worry about which bookmarklet to click. It's as simple as that. It's, it's, it's bookmarklets <laughs> and tags and automation and things. Um, do you audiobook? Uh, I am the worst auditory learner, so no, I do not. No, so am I. I feel like... I, I've listened to a few audiobooks, and I just, I just can't do it. Oh, in what we call a connection, I, see, I always want to call her Mrs. Fangy, because that's what I call her in front of my kids. My lovely wife um, listened to the entire Left Behind series from... Ooh. Truck stopped from truck stop to truck stop when she used to drive back and forth between uh, Portland and South Texas and wow. L.A. on occasion. Yeah, she apparently that was the thing she got in, not necessarily into, but it was very readily available at I don't know the Pilot or the T.A. or whatever truck stops so, she managed to stop her Nissan Sentra at. So come, come the come the rapture, I assume you know you're going to be left taking care of the dogs. Uh, yeah, well, you would think if you believe in a rapture, then yes. <laughs> if you believe in a rapture, then I'll still be here, unless for some reason the dogs get to go. Which, based on the I amount of they noise do. they make when I'm trying to record a podcast, they're they're not going. It's going to be no me no cats. No cats are assholes. They are. They are. Yeah, but I I, them, I, but... I determined recently I could probably be a cat person. Yeah. I think I'm just an animal person. Yeah, yeah. Cats, are, cats, cats are great. It could. It, it could work. I like cats. They're very self-sufficient. I had a cat. I was well, a single guy with a cat for a while, ladies, well, in case you uh, – Hello, ladies. When you, come, when you come to visit, you can hang out with our cats. Single, single guy with a cat in a one-bedroom apartment that reads a cigarette smoke. How I ever yeah. ended up getting married, I will never know. Um, do you speed read when you read digitally? Um, have, have you ever looked into those apps? I have looked into those apps, and I, I, I do not speed read. I, I, have, I feel like I have a pretty good uh, – Speed and retention rate. I think I probably read faster than average, but I my mother my mother just is a voracious reader. She will just consume like murder mysteries, just like crazy. And so I I definitely got some reading habits from her. I don't read murder mysteries like crazy, but I definitely can read pretty quickly and re- and retain pretty well. But I I definitely like don't do the speed reading things. No, Instapaper has both an audio I've version and an audio yeah. way thing where the, it'll read it to you auto, in it'll read it to you like it's reading you an audiobook, which I have used to um the one of the other podcasts on this wonderful network stuff and things with Rob. Uh we occasionally look at two or three different articles per episode if we ever record that again and I will have Instapaper read those to me while I'm in the car because those are things that I can sort of absorb while I'm not doing much else. Uh they also have a speed reading feature in Instapaper. I have only used it I think once or twice because I'm and I think that you would probably like this too. I want to be involved and engaged in the thing that I'm doing. Yeah. And I feel like if I'm speed reading, I'm not actually reading. I'm just staring at a screen and passively letting the words go into my head. It's it's like why I don't use the smart speed on um, podcasts. I just uh, like there's sometimes some pauses and some some things in there that I think is some sometimes important context. You are inhuman if you're not using the smart speed in Overcast. I have no idea how. Are you? You're serious. Oh, I I, I mean I I admire how amazing it is like it works so well 
Um, oh, that's but, right. You don't listen to any of the podcasts that you're on because this podcast would oh, be. God. And for those of you that are not listening to this in Overcast, I apologize for our awkward pauses. This podcast is not very good if it's not in Overcast. I yeah, I, I there's no way I can listen to myself. So the I'm, guy that edits this podcast does not have that high of attention to detail. <laughs> so uh, and, and so mostly what I try to do is like if I start listening to a new podcast, I try to like kick something out. So I, I definitely have like a finite limit of podcasts that I try to stick within. Oh, I don't know how you do that. You you and I are going to have to go over at some point off air how you work Huff Duffer and podcasts and everything in your thing. Because I'm a Huff Duffer guy, and this is not these. at all related to this episode. I have no idea how it works at yeah. all as far as it relates to podcasts and everything else. So we'll have to talk about that yeah. um, at some point. I did want to get to – and this is sort of a meta question – um, that Pete Dennison threw up on the Twitter. I don't want to say threw Blech. up. <laughs> I know. As if we hadn't talked about throwing up enough today, you and I. <laughs> um, he kind of – he mentioned on the Twitter using hashtag ass.grid. Um, he just said, setting an example for your kids. Does digital diminish this? Like is dad actually reading or is he checking Twitter? Um, it relates loosely back to a note that I had taken – um, for these earlier about the difference between analog and digital information gathering and note taking to a certain extent and how it kind of works with learning. I think there's, um, and bear with me here because this is all tangentially related. I think digital reading still has a little bit of a stigma attached to it, almost the way that online dating still has a stigma attached to it. And I'm pulling that from, um, uh, an episode of Analog, or actually two episodes of Analog they did a little while back about the stigma that's kind of associated with online dating and meeting people online. I still think that there's a stigma attached to reading digitally, and I speak from firsthand experience because my students have been – we've been a bring-your-own-technology school since January, so the students are encouraged to bring their laptops if they have them, which they don't typically, or their tablets or their phones or whatever, and there are times that I've either had them do research or they will come up and ask me if they can read their book on, you know, whatever book they're reading on their phone because and we are remiss if we don't mention the Gutenberg project and all of the stuff that the Gutenberg project has done to make public domain books available. Oh yeah, absolutely. So some of the older classics like The Great Gatsby and Alice in Wonderland and things like that that are Alice within Alice in the- Wonderland comes on every single Kindle. I know <laughs> automatically. Yeah. Um they're all available via the public domain, which means they're free. So there are students that when they're doing their independent reading for me will ask me if they can read such and such book on their phone because it's only available you know, digitally yeah. way, and I don't have a problem with it most of the time, but there's still – They're afraid net- you're going to think they're like posting selfies or something. And listen, I – I haven't taught for very long, and I haven't taught that many students, but I guarantee you not every single one of those students is always reading The Great Gatsby <laughs> on their phone when they tell me they are. Like, I know that they're doing something. Well, that- maybe it's highly symbolic. Like, Great Gatsby is all about, like, the, like, sort of self-involved Gatsby, and, you know, that has everything to do with selfies. So, But it's such a good book. Yeah. Uh, I read seen- it when I read it when I was a sophomore. I was like, "Oh, this book is horrible." And then I read it again before I started teaching. I was like, "Oh my god, this is why it's the quintessential American novel. It's so good." For some some present when, present when my wife and I were dating, I bought her on eBay this like really pretty like white leather bound copy of The Great Gatsby, and I wrote some cheesy note about like go toward the green light like on the inside as an inscription. She still married you? Uh, yeah, apparently. Don't look out. Still worked out. She's still there within your immediate vicinity, probably judging by the size of your apartment, no more than 10 or 15 feet from you right now. Probably. Um, 
She's listening. Always listening. She, did, did she listen to the podcast? Um, I think she listens. She she caught up recently. I think um, that's nice of her. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really great. My the only way my wife will listen to the podcast is if I put it on in the car while we're together. But she thinks we're hilarious, which is good because most people out there. <laughs> Uh, if you're tuning in for the humor, then you're probably well, good. missing that, the point. That means if, if you guys come out to visit, she won't she won't be constantly banging her head against the wall. Probably when we not. Start talking. That's good. No. Yeah. No. She she's used to it. Uh, she thinks that we have a generally good rapport, which is good. It works out well. Yeah. Um, so I think that to go back to the topic that we had originally <laughs> set ourselves. To oh, there was not, a topic not ten or fifteen minutes ago. I think that there's still a stigma attached to digital reading, but I think that especially with the Kindle and the e-ink part, it's become generally more acceptable. Yeah, yeah. I I prefer to do the vast majority Although, of my digitally now. I if you're reading to... if you're reading on the Kindle though, that means you won't get to be on the Hot Guys Reading Books blog. Well, do you know about uh, this this blog? I don't. Let me... <laughs> Guys reading books blogs. There's a, that's a Tumblr. Right? I think it's a Tumblr. Um, HotGuysReadingBooks.com. Um, or maybe it's Hot Dudes. Uh, you know what? It, there, it's an Instagram account. I'm sorry. It's called Hot Dudes Reading. And it's guys on various modes of public transportation, uh, reading books, um, but only paper books. You cannot hashtag no Kindles. <laughs> so sorry. This is a thing that exists. Sorry, dudes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, dudes. Reading Kindles. Uh, I have uh, to. I have to admit that in I have noticed um, more than more than four times uh, taking public transportation around San Francisco, I have noticed um, dudes and ladies reading uh, paper versions of Naked Lunch. Really? Because you know, like William Burroughs probably wrote that like around here, right? Like he. One would like he wrote he wrote it at like city lights and around here, but I, I assume that's like the young adult quintessential. Not young adult as in like teens, but young adult as in like people in their twenties, right? Quintessential like San Francisco beat book. I remember that being on a recommended reading list when I was a junior in high school, and we had to do book reports or something. And two of my friends read that book, and my teacher was like, "No, no book report, no book report, <laughs> not naked lunch. Don't read, don't read that. Nope, yeah. you go ahead and just read us a paper. We're good. We're set on that." <laughs> I was like, "I read the, all the King's Men. That's what did I miss? That's not fun." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, and I think I don't think the kids that did the Jungle were allowed to do a report either because I don't <laughs> think that that was a book that anyone wanted to. For those of you that don't know where the term where the sauce or how the sausage is made, that's where it comes from. <laughs> Gross. Uh, I'm trying to remember what my first sort of like. Well, how, how about this? I'm going to put you on the spot. What's what's the first like like literature novel that you've read that has oh. made an impression on you? Oh yeah, this is this is really the part where it it goes off the rails a little bit. Um. Like any kind of impression, just just like the first thing you read that's considered like part of some literary canon that you read for maybe class or something that that wasn't just something you were like, yeah, whatever, this is stupid, and blew it off. That you like actually read and like digged. No, God, it may have been Gatsby before I started teaching again. It's been a while because yeah. um, Did you have required reading when you were in high school? I did. uh, I did. Yeah, that ruined reading for me. Yeah. And this is still tangentially connected to reading. For those of you that get on our case all the time about how we spend too much time not talking about the topic at hand, this is still related to reading. And if you don't like it, stop. It. Don't, stop it. <laughs> don't be like defensive or anything. No, um, I think I think it was probably Gatsby. Just because when I did all of my reading through high school, it kind of once 
because I was a I was a voracious reader as well. I was I was the kid that met my librarian outside of the door to the library when I was in the second grade because I had to get my hands Aww. on the Encyclopedia Brown book that oh, I had. Oh, Encyclopedia so like, Brown. I had, like I had to be there. Like I had to do that. And then I got to high school, and it was like you have to read this, you have to read that. And even if they had some sort of literary merit to them, I still thought to myself, well, if I have to read this, it probably. Grr, I don't like this. Oh, it, you know what? It wasn't. Um, it wasn't the Great Gatsby, although it was wonderful. Um, 1984 was the first thing that I read that I wasn't forced to read. Uh-huh. Um, I believe it was probably what whetted my appetite for British dystopian fiction. But that was what got me on to Orwell. Um, so 1984, Animal Farm, and um, Catch 22, which is not by Orwell. But those are probably all. Those are my three favorite novels, I believe, and those are all kind of satirical sort of thumbing your nose at society in a way that only intelligent people will get kind of thing in case I didn't sound snobby enough. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but the good news is great Gatsby and I don't think Orwell's available via uh, public domain yet, but Gatsby is go out and read it. It's wonderful. Um, do you have a influential novel that sits out of you? I imagine as an English lit major, um, you have probably mine, plenty of things. So my my first one, which is uh, a little stereotypical, um, I read – it was for my honors English class in, in freshman year of high school. Can I guess? Um, sure. Is it Catcher in the Rye? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely like – it was pretty stereotypical, but it was – it definitely you know spoke to me as a young white male. It's a Bill Bones um, tale. I mean it is yeah. – it is, a coming of age tale. It's it. It is not. With, it, listen, it wouldn't be predictable if it wasn't. You know, if it yeah. didn't have its reason to be predictable. Right. Yeah. And so, so that was the big one. I definitely like read 1984 and and did a lot of like like late high school book reports about it, things like that. Um, used it as as um, yeah. I I definitely got a lot of material out of out of um, out of 1984. Um. I really liked um actually one of my very favorite classes in college was an experimental women's writers class and we read um like Toni Morrison and Annius Nin and um oh who read who wrote uh, Wide Sargasso Sea um that was come on internet uh yeah Jean Rice um so th- that was a really really great class um I I definitely liked I liked a lot of that. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I did enjoy like a lot of, I guess I would say, highbrow uh, science fiction stuff that can kind of cross the line into non-genre fiction as well. Um, that kind of stuff. I'm trying to think of. Yeah. I used to, I, I used I, to get I, an Amazon gift card for uh, Christmas every year, and I would make it a point to find the top 100, either the top 100 novels or top 100 young adult novels or something like that, and buy used copies of them off Amazon. Yeah. Because that was how I felt like I was getting the most for my money. Um, so there was the gear that I bought um, Clockwork Orange yeah. and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest yep. and. Um, Oh, what's the one with Piggy? What's that called? Animal Farm? Uh, no, that's the actual pig. Oh. Um, uh, children on an island, and they go... Oh, uh, the Island of Dr. Moreau. Nope, not that no, one No, not that one. Um, Lord of the Flies? That's the one. That's yep, the bought one. that one. <laughs> bought that one, too, all one year. That was that was all a really good year, so... Yeah. Uh, if you guys need literature recommendations, particularly <laughs> if the young adult persuasion, the young adult or classic persuasion... 
Andy Welfley, Will Fengi, and uh, the entire Dot Grid podcast staff. Can we can are, we talk about real quick children's books? Yes, uh, we'll do children's. We'll, Bruce we'll Coville was my man. Bruce I Coville. That is. Uh, Bruce Coville wrote um, sci-fi books for kids. He wrote My Teacher Is an Alien series, which is amazing. Um, he wrote, uh, yeah, he, Bruce Coville was fantastic. He was kind of like the science fiction version of like Goosebumps stuff. Is, like is it this wasn't, what happens when your mom's a teacher, especially a teacher probably, of young children? I think so. I, 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 I had a lot of books, yeah. Because, I mean, I was read to – my dad read to us from as early as I can remember. We had a couple of those books that there was a story for every day of the year. Yeah. And he would rotate through them every year. I think we had three or four. So, I mean, my oh, dad read awesome. to us from a very early age. I was reading I was reading young. But, yeah, I don't remember much many yeah. children's books beyond uh, when I started picking things out for myself when I was six or seven. So, last question. Um, um, as many young white men do, did you go through an Ayn Rand phase? No, never read a single word. Wow, that's impressive. Not, I, I definitely, I definitely went through a um, like Atlas shrugged phase where I tried to like, and I, I definitely have never read all the way through because I just couldn't handle it. Um, so long and <laughs> rambly, but I, I definitely, yeah, went through my Ayn Rand phase before I was like, oh shit, like. <laughs> Like this woman, this woman is terrible. <laughs> like I know exactly what this means. Yeah. Send all your hate mail yeah. to Andy at woodclinch.com. It is a phase. It was definitely a phase, and I think that a lot of like middle class, um, yeah, like midwestern privileged kids go through. A lot of them do. So I definitely. I'm from the south. I don't know if we're even allowed to have that down here. <laughs> that might be on a banned books list for somebody. Oh, Ayn Rand would not care for the. Um, oh, what is it called with the the southern? Um, I can't think of it. Like why they built NASA in Florida, Jimmy Carter thing. The ocean? No, the the southern. Um, compromise. We are not good at words tonight. I don't know. Yeah. We we've been recording for like an hour and forty minutes. We should probably wrap yeah. it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not all going to make it. The guy that edits this podcast is going to get rid of some stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we can go ahead and uh, and and roll this to the end. Uh, I think it's been a very informative episode, not just about yeah. ways to read both in the analog and digital, but about the kinds of things that we read. If you uh, listeners are at all interested in talking to us about books. Well, first and foremost, if you're interested in learning more about books and the writing process, we're going to yet again plug the covered podcast Hell yeah. uh, for, over on the Fiat Network uh, with, uh, with Harry Fiat Lux. It's, uh, it's a spectacular network all the way around, but that's, uh, it's really, really great in-depth conversations with authors and their creative processes. And you would think it would get repetitive, but he gets such a wide variety of guests that he gets a chance to sit down with. I mean, anything from the, the organizing and decluttering person that you were talking about earlier too. I heard a good portion of the episode with the woman who writes young adult paranormal, like horror fiction. I'm probably throwing in an extra adjective for no reason there, mm-hmm. um, but it was also really, really, really well done. So it's, um, it's very interesting to, to delve into that process and kind of learn how the, uh, the books that we read in either format are made. Um, and then we learned a lot about digital analog too. I feel like we all learned something here today, Andy Welfley. I think we did. I, uh, Which, I try to learn something new every day. Even though I didn't go to work today, I did my job. Heck yeah. I, I did I did a good thing here. Uh, if people wanted to get in touch with you on Twitter, what's the best way to do that? Um, probably the best way to get in touch with me on Twitter is to go to uh, tweet at, at A Welfley, A-W-E-L-F as in Frank, L-E. Uh, and, and how I about am, you? I am at Will. 
F like in Frank, A-N-G-U-Y, at Will Fengi. You can tweet fan, at the fan guy. At fan guy. Waffles. Uh, you can tweet <laughs> at the podcast, uh, at dot grid podcast. Or if you have questions for us or something you want us to follow up on or look into for another episode, because as we have mentioned, and we will do this at some point in the near future, we're going to talk about hoarding at some point and meta tags. And we're going to, we've still got something on there about the writing process. I think it's going to be a whole series. We haven't even talked about calendars yet. So oh, that's God. coming up. Too. I can't talk about you calendars. Can, I know. We, you can uh, tweet at us using the hashtag ask.grid, hashtag ask.grid. Uh, speaking of hashtags, there's another thing called a cash tag. Now that I've quit my job and I'm officially unemployed as of the 27th, it would behoove me to mention cash.me slash dollar sign nerd uprising if you wanted to give us a dollar or five dollars or whatever because you either A, want me to be able to keep food on my table or B, want me to find a way to do something besides make this podcast. If you pay us, we will actually make the episode shorter. We'll make them shorter and we'll release them on a regular schedule. Yes. Which we were re- doing really good on. We were doing had, really good. I was, I was, yeah, we were. Um, the whole well, network was well, and then Erasable's thrown off too for other reasons. So, uh, it's just... these teachers. If they could just get their schedules in check. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, uh, I think that makes for a, a high quality episode. It's been a pleasure talking to you about reading. If you guys want to say anything to us, you know the best way to do it. Andy Welfley, let's sit down and do this again in a couple weeks. Sounds good.